This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, this is Max Riffner. I am the creator of The Crippler's Son, which is available through Fanagraphics on Comixology. And you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 188 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, December 3rd. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not screaming, f*** the police, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not doing my old school Flava Flav dance and rapping 911 as a joke, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Thus ends our political commentary on the state of policing in the United States. In this week's episode, you'll hear our brutally honest reviews of Secret Six, number one, and Escape from New York, number one. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's new comics faster than Peter Pan can confuse all of us with his slash her gender bending during the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're gearing up for the Slammy Awards with the ghost of Captain Lou Albano and discussing some of next week's comics. And finally, we're going to step back into the comic studio and interview our good friend and creator, Max Riffner, to discuss his latest release from Fanagraphics, The Crippler's Son. So let's all stop talking about the Star Wars trailer for a moment to ask each other, what the f*** was that Terminator trailer all about? It was about being awesome. <laughs> uh, maybe. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. We got big news. Warner Brothers has announced the official cast for director David Ayer's Suicide Squad film coming in 2016, and it is a doozy. The Suicide Squad will be Jared Leto as the Joker, Tom Hardy as Rick Flagg, Margot Robbie or Robbie as Harley Quinn. I think it's I think it's Robbie. Okay. Jai Courtney as Boomerang. Why not Captain Boomerang? Nope. You too good for it? Nope. This is Boomerang from Spider-Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Great. See, that's where you're oh, confused. Oh, it's a crossover. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm into it. See what they're doing? I'm into it. Kara Delavigne as Enchantress and get ready. Will Smith as Deadshot. The role he was born to play. I had to <laughs> I had to stop and look it up to confirm that they did not mean another Will Smith. So did I. I did the same thing. I was like, no, there's no way. There's gotta be there's another actor named Will Smith yeah, out there, that, right? That was my thought. Like Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Is not Michael Jordan from basketball. Right. <laughs> also rumored but not confirmed to appear is Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. Oh boy. The part of squad leader Amanda Waller has not been cast, but Variety has reported that their quote unquote shortlist includes the entire cast of The Help. No kidding. That's not a joke. It's both of the black leads from The Help Good. are on the list to play Amanda Waller. Good God. And Oprah fucking Winfrey. So the script treatment, it said Amanda Waller played by famous black woman. Famous. <laughs> the, the most famous black woman. And someone took it find. literally. Yeah. <laughs> In the report, WB president Greg Silverman said, quote, we look forward to seeing this terrific ensemble under David Ayer's amazing guidance. Give new meaning to what it means to be a villain and what it means to be a hero. Oh boy. You know what I don't want? End quote. You know what I don't want? A redemption story about the Suicide Squad. No, not at all. And that's what you're going to get. Yeah. This is a bizarre cast. One thing I don't need is the Joker in the Suicide Squad. 
Don't need that. Uh, yes, I agree. I don't need that at all. I don't want Harley Quinn. And I'm at, sorry. Well. You've got Deadshot in the movie and somehow Tom Hardy is not playing him. Tom Hardy would be perfect as Deadshot. I'm telling you, man. Perfect. Ryan Gosling should have been Deadshot. Or whatever. Fine. Anybody else. Will Smith? No. No, you're not my Deadshot. Will Smith is a very popular actor. He is. And a very good actor sometimes. He's not my Floyd Lawton. Um, I agree. He does not seem to match my um, interpretation, like my understanding of the character of Floyd Lawton. Right. It has nothing to do with the fact that he's black. So calm down. No, I'm not saying that either. But I'm saying he's not. Uh, I just Floyd think personality Lawton. wise, I don't see it. No, I just I don't see it. I don't either. And at all. Maybe I'm wrong, but. And you know what? Jared Leto is a perfectly good actor. He's very talented. He just won an Oscar for what he did in the Dallas Buyers Club last year. And he's yeah. incredible in yes. that movie. He's not my Joker. There's just, okay, I'm sorry. Now, no. I, I have given up on saying that so-and-so is not a good fit for the Joker. Because every time I say that, they go, okay, well, how about this? And it's then it's Heath Ledger. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying that it's going to be as good as Heath Ledger. I'm saying I am not going to discount Jared Leto's ability to play the Joker. I'm not either. I just don't want i don't need the joker in the suicide when squad. it started out it started out the more traditional john ostrander version of the suicide squad and i understand that that is a tough sell it is but we should mention this is nothing like it well rick flag and captain boomerang and the enchantress and deadshot that's straight out of john ostrander's suicide I mean, squad sure those characters are do you think like, they're going to be recognizable they're i not would not i would boomerang. i would not have in a million years, I would not have ever guessed that they would put Rick Flagg in the movie. No, I wouldn't have either. I don't know. It's just such a weird mix of traditional interpretation and Hollywood's um, insistence on saying, oh, this is popular. Let's do more of it. Right. Like Kids this, love Harley Quinn. Give them more Harley Quinn. Like this is their Avengers, basically, is what they're doing. I don't know. I, I don't know, man. I don't get it. And you haven't built up any of these other characters in other movies unless Jared Leto is going to show up in Batman v Superman. Whatever. Well, right. This is the immediate follow-up to Superman, Batman. This comes out next after right. that. So Jesse Eisenberg, if he appears, will already be in it. Right. And I would be surprised if the Joker didn't show up in it as well. I have a feeling. This... I'm sorry, and I don't. I know I'm constantly this guy on the show, but this just sounds like a mess. This sounds like a big mess to me. I want it to be good. I mean, uh, some of these names are big names. Like, They're huge names. Tom Hardy, back in a comic book movie, yeah. is awesome. Tom Hardy is great. Oscar award winner Jared Leto. Yeah. Will f***ing Smith, who was at one point was the biggest actor on the planet. It's true. Not so much anymore. No. Which is why he no. has to play Deadshot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't get it, but, and the... But then they keep shoving this Jai Courtney guy in our faces yeah. from Divergent or whatever. He's going to be in the new Terminator, too. Yeah. And he's all right. Yeah, like, I liked him in uh, Donna, Planet of the Apes. He was, but he is Australian. He's an Australian dude. So. Yeah. I mean, at least there's that. Yeah. And he's not bad. I mean, whatever. I just, I once again, here we are slapping our foreheads going, okay, DC. <laughs> like, whatever you say. Right. <laughs> so it's puzzling. Right. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about um, Marvel here in a second. But the contrast between when Marvel makes an announcement like this and DC makes an announcement like this is that when Marvel does it, you go, oh, you know what? I didn't think of that, but right. that makes total sense. Everybody looks at each other and goes, yeah. That could totally work. <laughs> like, Paul that, Rudd cool. is Ant-Man. Yeah. And then DC does it, or Warner Brothers does it, and they're like, wait a minute, who? Yeah. You're going to do? You're gonna play? have who playing what? Yeah. And until any of this materializes, I can't 
be anything but really skeptical. Yeah. There's just, I mean, we've gotten used to it. A flurry of Marvel casting news also hit this week, including official confirmations that Benedict Cumberbatch will play Doctor Strange, that Ryan Reynolds is going to return to play Deadpool. More surprising news came from the announcement that Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 star Kristen Ritter will play Jessica Jones in the upcoming Netflix series. The Bee has also had roles on Breaking Bad and The Blacklist. Deadline has reported that... The following oh, actor. that the following actor, not the following actor, Mike Coulter. <laughs> Mike Coulter, comma, star of the following. There you go. <laughs> reported that Mike Coulter, comma, star of the following, comma, is likely to play Luke Cage. Joe Patrick. I don't know, man. I The Benedict Cumberbatch thing was all but official when it came out a while back. And we and all clapped our hands that. Hooray. Perfect. Uh. It, what was not so certain was that Ryan Reynolds was going to be able to come back and do the Deadpool movie based on that um, that uh, two-minute oh, animated, animated thing, right? Thing, yeah. Um, I think that's great news. Yeah. And if, it's, if they match that, we talked about it when we talked about that clip, if they match that tone, if it's live action, but they somehow match that tone and style... Awesome. I'm so, into it. So Deadpool is going to be Sony, though. It's not it's, Marvel Studios. No, it's right? going to be Fox. It's going to be oh, I'm sorry, Fox. Uh, in the X-Men universe, okay. right? So he'll probably show up. I think there's a rumor that he might pop up in um, the next Brian Singer X-Men movie. Does he still have giant swords that come out of his arm? I think we're going to God, pretend. I hope no, so. that got rebooted. Yeah. No, At the end course. of Days of Future Past, yeah. that all got erased. It's all gone. <laughs> As for Jessica Jones, I will admit that I was not thinking of her when i was uh, trying to come up with who yeah. should play jessica jones i yeah I, like brian michael bendis developed that character i mean she was not your typical like gorgeous supermodel heroine she i don't think that kristen ritter fits that bill necessarily either she well she's pretty gorgeous and well, she's, tiny and i mean she, yes i mean she's pretty she is a hollywood star but she, but she she just doesn't look like jessica jones as i pictured her i pictured jessica jones as i mean not plain but as a more realistic looking person than you might see on the street good looking sure but you know she's also kind of big and muscly and like well they can do wonders with makeup these days i suppose i suppose and maybe the bee can put on a bunch of weight and get stacked <laughs> i don't know not fond of that sitcom uh, no one was that's why it got uh, canceled <laughs> but i mean she was in breaking bad and she was fine in breaking bad and yeah. she was on the blacklist as a, a villain recently and she was pretty great yeah uh and so it, she's got the chops it's just it was an it's an interesting choice that I didn't see coming. Yeah. Mike Coulter looks like he Luke Cage. Totally looks like, like Luke, Luke Cage, Cage stepped out of your comic book. Yeah. Awesome. He's, I like I've never seen the following, so I don't, big, I don't know if he's any he's good. He's black, he's sexy, he's good on that show. Man, he's gonna be great. Now, uh, occasional guest host Dave DeMarco said something to me yesterday when the news broke about this, uh, about Kristen Ritter. Uh he said that she's good as like the snarky best friend yeah but there isn't really anything sympathetic about her yeah right like jessica jones is someone that you're just like oh she's so pathetic we're not even so pathetic she's just yeah. like a real person right it's just but uh, i mean jessica jones uh, when we first meet her in alias her life is kind of shitty yeah and so uh, i kind of agree with dave that up until this point kristen ritter has never really um given me anything to think that she fits that sort of yeah. role but and maybe we just haven't seen it yet 
she is a professional actor. Yes. So we'll see. Uh, I will say that none of this fills me with the same sort of like, what? Um, that the DC announcements did. Yeah, I didn't smash my computer when they cast Kristen Ritter, but I went, yeah. oh, okay. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I guess I, when it comes down to it, I trust Marvel Studios to cast actors that they think are better fits for their characters, whereas I think that Warner Brothers casts the biggest names that'll get the biggest yeah, draw. Absolutely. absolutely. And one is smart business, and one is Hollywood finagling, art making. Yeah, that also ends up being smart business yes. because if you cast the right person, then the thing will be good and people will like it. What it comes down to is Marvel pays us more to like their stuff before it comes out than DC does. When I mean, we haven't gotten a check. From when those guys do the ages. checks arrive? Come on, do they come here? <laughs> In comic news, Boom Studios has announced the comeback we've all been waiting for. Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan will return in an all-new six-issue miniseries from former Angel writer Brian Lynch and Loki Ragnarok and Roll artist Jerry Gaylord. Like him a lot. Yes. Boom described the series in a press release saying, quote, Following the time-traveling historic epic of Excellent Adventure and the turbulent life and death of Bogus Journey, Bill and Ted must now fulfill their destiny as the inspiration for galactic harmony. How can someone hate the wild stallions as much as the evil Chuck Denomalos? With the power of time travel, Bill and Ted set their sights on turning a young 27th century Nomalos non-heinous attitude into something most outstanding and metal, end quote. The series will all, all blah, the series will also feature a backup story by the Midas Flesh and Squirrel Girl writer Ryan North. We like him too. With art by Bravest Warriors artist Ian McGinty. Now, Matt, I know that you live by Rufus's motto: "Be excellent to each other." But are you ready for the return of the Wild Stallions? This is an audio podcast, so you can't see me playing air guitar right now. But I am going. You know, part of me. Wanted Evan Dorkin to come back and do this. Oh, hell yeah, because he did he, the 90s comic. He did the Marvel stuff in the 90s, and it was great. It was yeah. really funny, and I'm not sure why he's not. I trust these guys. They're all talented. I love Ryan North. He's great. And Boom does really good. good but he's doing the backup. Boom does a really nice job with their licensed properties. I see no reason why this can't succeed. I like Brian Lynch, too. Brian Lynch was the guy that was trusted with doing what was essentially Angel... Season six. Yeah, it was great. Uh, back when the Angel and Buffy were at different companies. Yeah. So he did Angel after, <laughs> that the, was after the fall. <laughs> yeah. W but when like LA got sucked to, uh, sucked to hell or whatever. Into the hell mouth. Yeah. yeah. It was a really fun series. It was good. And he's a good writer. So yeah. um, not a comedy book, but. <laughs> well, no, but Angel had its moments. Like it, it was lighthearted, you know. Uh, it wasn't all dour. I mean. Sure. Right. He okay. wrote it like the show, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I. I love Bill and Ted. Yeah. I think this is fun. Um, continues our strip mining of the eighties. Well, <laughs> which we'll get to later on in the show. <laughs> also, also announced, uh, this week, but we didn't talk about it because of the casting news. Um, Jim and the holograms comic. Yeah. Uh, being drawn by Ross Campbell who drew glory. Yeah. And that book looks amazing. So it's gonna be something. And I don't give two shits about Jim. Yeah. That is the big news for this week. If you like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where you can see Joe and I playing in our Misfits cover band. And I don't mean 
Jerry Only and Glenn Danzig's Misfits. I mean, we are the Misfits. Yeah, right. <laughs> Our songs are better. We are the Misfits. And we're going to get her. <laughs> oh, yeah. I watched Jim. I'm the one with green hair. Every Sunday, my favorite Esquire, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forum. Joey, what do we ask the kids this week? This week's question comes courtesy of Anthony from Brooklyn, one of our more recent welcome aboards. I think it's Anthony. Anthony from Brooklyn. Hey. He didn't sound like that when he called you. No, he jerk. didn't. No, he didn't. We're making uh, neighborhood assumptions. Yeah, we are. <laughs> I was going to say racial. But, you know. No, that's not really. The entire Brooklyn race is offended. <laughs> what storyline or miniseries were you enjoying only to have the ending completely let you down? We can throw event books in here, too. Thus tarnishing your feeling for the story as a whole. Oh, boy. I know my answer. Yeah. You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, December 12th, to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype. I dare you. The Skype <laughs> handle is two-headed nerd, all one word. Or call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. You can also send an MP3 to two-headed nerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it under three minutes. Even less is better. And get you more points. That's right. You will get cut off if, if uh, it's too long or it's boring or it's stupid. That's just what happens. The faster you do it, the more you win. No, we proved last week that stupid makes it on no, the stupidity, show. Stupidity, yeah, is pretty uh, yeah, yeah. a mainstay on the answer. Of the yeah, week. Right. <laughs> Mainly from us, not you guys. Sure. <laughs> if you need more time than three minutes, feel free to write on the question of the week board at the THN web forums. It's a fun place to hang out. I was just there. It's great. I love it. It's review time on THN, where Joe and I stop rioting for a couple minutes to review two of this week's new comics. Tropical. Joey, get off that guy's neck and tell the kids what you picked to review this week. My review this week is of Secret Six number one from DC Comics, written by Gail Simone, with art by Ken Lashley, with an inking assist by Drew Garassi. Brought that up for a reason. Foreshadowing. I sure did. Here's your solicit. Gail Simone is back with the new 52 debut of the fan favorite team, The Secret Six. Six strangers are brought together under mysterious circumstances for an explosive first issue that will leave everyone asking, what is the secret? Like the solicit says, this is the return of the fan favorite that we all mourned for when it was canceled prior to the launch of the new 52. But is it really? I'm Spoilers, sorry. no. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I have to say no. This is the Secret Six in name only, and I thought it was a huge disappointment. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't expecting a complete rehash of the original series, nor would I have wanted one. But when DC announced that Gail Simone would be reviving the series, I couldn't help but be excited. But instead of introducing a group of flawed characters that you can't help but root for, Simone has created a cast of characters that you have no choice but to dislike, if they even have any personality at all. Simone's script spends so much time telling us how hot and smoldering and capable Catman is, but what we're shown is a claustrophobic psycho who's more than willing to piss on you Literally. if the situation warrants. The new 52 ventriloquist is here too, Ugh. with her main characteristic being a propensity for showing other characters her disturbing genitals. The rest of the six are barely touched on, even Strix, a character that Simone used for most of her run on the current volume of Birds of Prey. So we're given absolutely no reason to care about anyone in this book and several reasons to outright hate some of them. 
The art by Ken Lashley is actually pretty good for the most part. He keeps his work loose and sketchy, and he inks himself, so he's able to approximate backgrounds without drawing them in detail. But Drew Garassi steps in to ink the second half, and his clean style is at odds with Lashley's pencils, causing a visual train wreck. Any semblance of backgrounds completely disappears, which causes figures to float in space without regard to their place in relation to other characters. Lashley also has some problems setting the scene in the latter part of the issue. The Secret Six are trapped together in a coffin-shaped room, small enough, the script says, to cause Catman to freak out. But when Lashley establishes the environment, it looks bigger than most small apartments. Yeah, there really was a huge change in the art. So much so that I flipped back to see if the artist actually changed. It was just the inker. Yeah. Yeah. Secret Six had a lot of expectations riding on it. And based on this first issue, it failed to meet them. I'm trying to keep positive. This is only the number one. And Gail is a writer that I trust. But based on what I've read here, I can't recommend it. I feel really terrible because I know I'm going to keep reading it and hoping it gets better, but I have to give this a leave it. Based on this first issue, there's nothing more for me to read. I'm not interested. I don't care. And and again, I didn't want a complete reboot of, you know, the characters. You don't want the same thing. I didn't want it totally rehashed. Yeah. But wow, you could have handled it better than this. This is just, it's edgy characters being edgy. That's all it is. Snarky, edgy, sexual you know, like it just, there was nothing here for me. Well, there's a, there's a new character named, um, porcelain. Yeah. She's got like three lines in the book. Yeah. And there is nothing established about her character yeah. or what she's like. Right. Nothing. Or black Alice for that matter. Like, what do you do? I, anything. I, what does black, that mean? I could do anything. Black Alice, black Alice. I, I pass right by because yeah. at least black Alice was a character from before. Yeah. Something you could recognize. She's an existing character. But they don't tell you a damn thing about her. If you are coming to this book fresh, as somebody that's never read before, there's I can't imagine what you would find to like in it. Yeah, there's nothing likable about any of these characters. I hate the new 52 ventriloquist. I think it's just a dumb character. They took a very interesting Batman villain and stripped away everything interesting. The idea of like this frail guy being controlled by this you know marionette, like having a psychopathic personality that comes out in the marionette is great. When you make the ventriloquist a psychopath too, that's really uninteresting. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's I just agree. dumb. I don't care. And like one of the oh, best. Oh well, and of course the um, the puppet looks just like I don't know. It looks like a mixture of the puppet from Saw and the Joker. Yeah, so they're, they're like, trapped in a room and they're gonna have to do bad stuff right. to get out. And there's an evil puppet that. Bleh. Yeah, give me a break, man. And like what I loved about the old Secret Six story was they took a bunch of pretty much like C level villains gave them personalities and showed us that like, look, there is a gray area between hero and villain and they live there and they do these things that are bad, but they're not terrible people. And sometimes you have to do terrible things to get results. And it really challenged you. There's no challenge here. This is just shock value. That's all it is. And the art felt rushed. The story felt rushed. There was nothing here for me. I have to ask the question. Are we worried about Gail Simone? (laughs) Honestly, when was the last time I don't I hate doing this because well, we just read her graphic novel and really enjoyed it. We read that. Yeah. And that was her on her own. OK, better question. So my, are we worried about Gail Simone in DC? My my question when I re, when I read a book from a creator that I enjoy and it is a complete misfire at almost every turn. My question is not what happened to that writer. My question is, what did this 
company do to this right. book? Yeah, because it, it really did felt like they just piecemealed it together and well, parted it out. And so Ken Lashley, the artist, could only ink half the book. And right, and he was really good. He switched and, up his style, and it looks really yeah, pretty. right. Like Ken Lashley did some stuff at the beginning of the New Fifty Two, not like just really great. If you loved the nineties yeah, image comics, highly overdrawn, over detailed. Yeah. Uh, but this, where it was super sketchy and, it was and cool. kind of impressionistic, where the backgrounds came from, uh, I, I enjoyed it. And then they just got a guy to come in and fill in. Yeah, why do you Drew Garassi, who I like as an inker, very talented, it, but. It's like this book, like they needed to get this book out the door now. Yeah, it literally, it feels like this book was six months late and they said, F- it, just finish it. Yeah, but well, but it wasn't. Like, why? Yeah. Take the extra time. Put no one's going to notice. Put it out whenever the hell you want. Yeah. You know? It, yeah, it was upsetting. Huge leave it from me too. Please tell me you have some good news about your comic. I got some pretty good news. All right. Yeah, it's not bad. I read Escape from New York, number one from Dynamite, written, written by Christopher Sabella with art by Diego Barreto. 32 pages long, $3.99 to get into this one. Kurt Russell has established himself as the toughest actor working in 1980s fiction when he surpassed Harrison Ford by starring in not one, but two comics, a solid 20 years after playing said fictional roles. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Han Solo. Snake Plissken is back! I am not going to go into the finer points of John Carpenter's classic Escape from New York film, but... I'll tell you that it set up Kurt Russell's snake as tougher than nails and infinitely prepared for any situation. Sabella plays directly off the end of the first movie, definitely ignoring the BS that was Escape from L.A., and fleshes out the world that Carpenter started to build with his 1981 cult classic. Here we see Snake leaving the president's compound seconds after the tape he was sent to retrieve turned out to be a fake. Needless to say, the president is not happy. Snake is once again public enemy number one and on the run through the ruins of the United States. The machismo is here. Snake oozes confidence in every panel as he embarrasses the president, takes down squads of helicopters, beats up guards, and seems to have no trouble breaking the rules and whooping much ass. The problem with a character like this is his story becomes pretty one note pretty fast. There's just no challenge that Snake can't overcome And he's not generally worried about it either. (laughs) It's a similar complaint that I think some people have about Superman. There's a couple puzzling jumps with the narrative, too. Snake hitches a ride with a girl that looks like Velma from the Scooby gang, stops for a meal at a diner where an unknown, unnamed waitress knows him, and then two hours later, he's meeting with a gang of Satanists that are headed to Florida. Well, I just read that waitress seen as like she knows of him maybe because he's this legendary figure i guess but it kind of it didn't really come off like that to me i don't know i mean i get it he was very famous and everybody knew like that's how it came off to me he was public enemy number one sabella does a solid job with the dialogue in true fashion snake doesn't say too much and diego barreto is wonderful on art he's got a mitch o'connell meets paolo rivera kind of style that gives his comic the kitschy feel that it needs some of the action got a little confusing due to Barreto playing with point of view, but he is really, really good here. Isn't he a... Pop art guy? On Fox News? Um, no, there's a Mitch O'Connell that's the majority speaker in the... That's Senate what I House. meant, yeah. No, but Mitch O'Connell is also a pop artist. Okay. Yeah, pretty well-known pop artist. He's rad. Fans of the movie will feel right at home here watching Snake sneer and one-liner his way through America. And it's obvious that the creators love Carpenter's film and really did their homework. I just can't see this series lasting for more than 10 issues 
without Snake's hyper-machismo, disinterested badassery getting a little boring. Not a bad start for the series, but I can only give this a strong skimmit. Yeah, I, I'm giving it a skimmit too, mainly because it picks up like literally seconds yeah. after the end. The script assumes Escape from New York just came out in theaters and right. you just got home from watching it. Right. And none of those are true in my case. <laughs> and so I read it and I had a hard time connecting to it because it's been so long. Sure. Again, Snake is a character that has very little to offer in the personality department yeah, on his own. Doesn't exactly have a single redeeming quality. <laughs> and so really, the entertainment value is in watching Snake play off of others. And it's a little too rapid fire in the sense that like, yeah. He's meeting this new person and this new person and then a van full of Satanists and yeah. then this and then he fights a room full of guys. Yeah. And so I uh, I can kind of see what you're saying about how like it's not sustainable long term. Right. I enjoyed it. And honestly, I can forgive that part of the book because that is what the movie was like. Sure, sure, and sure. They're, they're playing in that movie universe. And I don't think it's a bad idea to jump. Yeah. Right at the end of the movie, because nobody that doesn't know the movie is going to pick this up. I'm sorry. Right. No and one's going to go, you know what? This is going to be my first taste of Escape from New York. No. I think it's a smart move to go, f*** it. You know it. You know what it is. If you don't, you're not going to read it anyway. Right. You know? Uh, to con to contrast it against the other Kurt Russell 80s comic book revival. Big Trouble in Little China. Um, Jack Burton has loads of personality yeah. and a supporting cast. Right. And it is conceivable that one would be super into figuring out what happened to him after Big Trouble yeah. in Little China. Ended. And it wouldn't surprise me if Big Trouble in Little China, the comic, is still running five years from now. Yeah. I don't this, see this. Yeah, a lot this of legs. this just doesn't have the hook for me. Yeah. Uh, it's absolutely well done. Christopher Sabella is a good writer. He really is. And he knows the property, and Diego Barreto is wonderful. So it's a strong skimmit. But like you said, if you're not already a fan, there's nothing for you. Yeah. So, that is a double leave it for Secret Six and double skim it for Escape from We're New York. We're mad! I mad guess. as hell! Of course, we want to know what you macho badasses and smoking hot kitty cats thought of these comics. So mark your territory over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. This past Thursday, NBC made the brave choice of airing Peter Pan live to an audience of Matt's and I's wives and probably not many more. Why NBC keeps trying these live musical experiments is confusing at best, but the bigger mystery lies within Peter Pan's pants. So join us now as we jump in the THN Mystery Mobile on a Neverland-wide tour as we try to figure out the secret origin of Peter Pan's gender. All while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. They always have a woman playing. Yeah, look. That's what the f***? Ludicrous Speed! Go! Shaft, number one from Dynamite! Uh, David Walker and Bilkis Evely bring us John Shaft's secret origin in this new series. Evely's art is wonderful. And Walker does a great job giving a voice to the character made famous by Richard Roundtree in the 70s. This is a black exploitation film on the printed page, complete with ridiculous fur coats, gold teeth, and racial tension. I really loved it. It was kick-ass. Buy it. Yeah, it was it's fun, man. awesome. Crossed plus 100, number one from Avatar. The original solicit for this title made it sound like writer Alan Moore was going to show us the bonkers future of the crossed world, but 
Instead, we get another very familiar cross story, but with really annoying oh, yeah. future speed. Really so annoying. Bad. Yeah. In fact, the only thing that felt different and futuristic was the really annoying future speak. Oh, and there was plants all over the building. Had the dialogue not been so f***ing dumb, this would have been a skimmit. It just felt like kind of lazy coming from a master storyteller like Alan Moore and not what I expected. I'm giving it a leave it. You know what I never thought I'd say about a cross comic? That it was boring. It was. It was boring. Yeah. Angela, Asgard's assassin, number one from Marvel. Surprise! Most characters have the potential to be good if you give them the right team. It's true. Kieran Gillen, Phil Jimenez, and Stephanie Hans finally get around to giving people a reason to care about Angela. They spend a little too much time establishing how badass she is and maybe not enough expanding on her personality. But as a first issue, I thought this was a great introduction to a character that they haven't bothered to give us a reason to like in over a year. I'm giving it a buy it. I really liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah, it was kick-ass. Fight like a girl, number one from Action Lab. Writer David Pinkney drops the reader directly into the action with the story of Amorosa, a badass girl who appears in front of a pantheon of gods and agrees to fight through nine trials to gain access to a wishing well and save her terminally ill brother. That is literally all you get of the story. Fight. There was no explanation needed, though, and artist Sue Lee is great here with the Paul Pope style and thick, sketchy line. This was just fun and a badass read. Perfect comic for any young female comic fan. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Action Lab, you're going to win an award this year. There's a little uh, little foreshadowing. Uh-huh. Wolf Moon, number one from Vertigo. You never know what you're going to get with Cullen Bunn, but... I was looking forward to this new series, and it didn't disappoint. The story picks up in the middle of the action. That's in media res for you literary dorks. <laughs> so they hit the ground running. The art by Jeremy Hahn is great, and this looks like it's going to be a fun twist on the traditional werewolf tale. I'm giving it to buy it. Jeremy Hahn, friend of the podcast. That's right. We love that guy. Battlestar Galactica, the death of Apollo, number one from Dynamite. Set in the old school 80s Galactica U, not the steampunk Galactica U, or the modern retelling of the Galactica U. And I have to There make, are three distinct I Battlestar Galactica make, universes. I have to make this distinction because they're all in publication at Dynamite right now in some form or another. Writer Dan Abnett launches this new BSG event. And, judging from the title, it doesn't end well for Apollo. Until I saw Abnett's name in the credits, I really wasn't expecting much here at all. But I gotta say, I really liked this. It was very solid art by Dietrich Smith, too. You can tell these guys love the old Battlestar Galactica property. Paid very close attention to the characters. This was a fun read. I'm giving it a buy it. Thanos versus Hulk, number one from Marvel. Or I should say, Jim Starlin's Thanos versus <laughs> right, Hulk, right. number one from Marvel. Jim Starlin uh, was in the news this week. Uh, he gave an interview with Newsarama, I think, about Thanos versus Hulk, where he essentially said that Marvel has three different versions of Thanos. I hate to break it to you, Jim Starlin. Marvel has one version of Thanos. It's their version. I'll tell you what. Nobody likes Jim Starlin like Jim Starlin. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Few things are so obviously unnecessary as Thanos versus Hulk number one. Now, it's got great art, and it's Jim Starlin doing his Starlin-ish best. So if you're a fan, you'll want to check it out. But if you're not into watching Starlin stroke his ego for four issues, you'll probably want to give it a pass. This is what he does now. This is seriously, like, no this joke. Is what Jim Starlin does now. Thanos versus Hulk had no fewer than four, maybe five, references to Starlin's own work. Yeah. Like, 
he named a bar after himself in the background. It's just like, <laughs> dude. We get it. I'll skim it. Right on. Captain America, colon, Peggy Carter, colon, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., one shot from Marvel. If you've got an extra eight bucks laying around, you could do worse than spending it on this big Peggy Carter book. Just in time for her new TV series, Peggy stars here in two World War II stories with Cap in tow. Catherine Immerman writes the first story with amazing art by Ramon Perez, but she writes young Cap as kind of a horny pervert. It was sort of weird. Oh, wait. Ed Brubaker and Steve McNiven revisit their Jimmy Jupiter story in the second story from their 2011 Captain America run, and the story was called American Dreamers. After that, we get some classic Peggy reprints and, for one reason or another, a couple of classic Falcon reprints. Hey, why not? I don't know. They just kind of threw it all in there. This is an $8 reprint book. If you want to do something like this to reintroduce people to the character, make it two bucks. I mean, really. Well, I mean, it's not that it's not full of stuff. It's full of stuff, but it's $8 for reprints, man. Make this two bucks, put it out there, people will buy it, and they'll go, hey, this character's pretty neat. I want to watch a TV show. I can only give this a skimmer. Fair. Ghost Fleet, number two, from Dark Horse. Still trying to figure out exactly what's going on with this series, but I'm still totally digging it. Is there something supernatural going on? Maybe. Probably? All I know for sure is that it's totally tough, like every good story about secret black ops truckers should be. Buy it! I hope that quote makes, like, the next cover. Joe Patrick says, is there something supernatural going on? Maybe. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Hellboy and the BPRD number one from Dark Horse. Look, I'm tired of f***ing saying it. If you like Supernatural comics and you're not reading the Mignolaverse in its entirety, you a dummy. Here, we see young Hellboy on his first mission in Brazil. Alex Mayleave comes on board as the newest amazing artist to join Mignola's stable. And he is on point here, man. This is more high-quality spooky storytelling from Mike Mignola and John Arcudi. And you should buy it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and squish is the sound of Amorosa chainsawing her way through a giant squid, as seen in the pages of Fight Like a Girl. She's tough. Number one. She is tough, man. I don't know if squish is the sound I would think of when a chainsaw was being used. How many giant squids you fought with a chainsaw? Uh huh. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So why don't you just shut your mouth? Good point. It's that time of year again where Joe and I are gearing up. For the year's biggest award shows, the WWE Slammy Awards. Every year, we invite a slew of our favorite ex-wrestlers over to fill out their ballots for a little friendly betting on the winners. This year, in preparation, Joe and I are joined by our good friend, Dead Man, in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be channeling the spirit of Captain Lou Albano to help us with our picks. Joe, while Boston searches for Lou in the Valhalla of dead wrestling personalities, why don't we talk about what we're excited to read next week? My pick for next week is Bitch Planet, number one from Image Comics. You have to say it like that, too. Finally. <laughs> Written by Kelly Sue DeConnick with art by Valentine Delandro. Here's your solicit. You know what? I'm not going to read the solicit. It's just all about how these two creators are doing this book. Yeah. Um, it's women in prison in space. Hello. Booyah. Booyah. Come on. Shower scenes. Hair pulling. It's, Come on. It's, <laughs> it's Grindhouse, Caged Heat. Oh, Plus yeah. space. Booyah. I'm into it. Come on. How to take this long? Matt, what you pick? Next week, I am excited to read The Valiant, number one from Valiant, written by Jeff Lemire, with art by Paolo Rivera, who we, apparently we get $5 every time we say his name on this show. A battle 10 millennia in the making is about to begin? Question mark? 
The Eternal Warrior has protected the Earth for more than 10,000 years. A master of countless weapons and long-forgotten martial arts, he is guided by the Geomancers, those who speak for the Earth. During his long watch, the Eternal Warrior has failed no less than three times. Each time, the Geomancer was killed? Question mark? And a new dark age for humanity began. I think those question marks are just... It's a formatting error. It's supposed to be commas. I'm going to stick with them. I like it. Okay. (laughs) Each time he was unable to stop the immortal enemy, a monstrous force of nature, a civilization killer. Apparently he's bad. A horror that appears differently each time it arrives? Question mark. (laughs) And who's seemingly only... (laughs) It makes this hilarious. (laughs) And whose seemingly only purpose is to bring disorder and darkness to the world. Now... The time has come for the immortal enemy to return once more. But this time, the Eternal Warrior will be ready. This time, he is a force greater than any single warrior. This time, he has, question mark, (laughs) the Valiant. An entirely self-contained new reader-friendly comics event spotlighting Bloodshot, Eternal Warrior, Geomancer, and a cast of heroes and villains from across the Valiant universe. The Valiant is a visionary new adventure from three of the greatest creative talents of comics today. <laughs> question mark. What makes it funnier is that you say question mark. Even I know. We know what you I mean. know, but it's more fun to do it that way. Man, this is just going to be awesome. It's a great jumping on point. If you're not reading Valiant comics, you need to be. We have reviewed, I don't even know how many Valiant comics and only given one a thumbs down. It was last week's Punk Mambo. The rest of them have all been kick ass. I can't wait for this. Jeff Lemire's a badass, and they're letting him run roughshod over <laughs> that universe. Awesome. Kick ass. The Valiant? <laughs> <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> the THN trade of the week goes to Superman for all seasons back in print in a deluxe hardcover from DC Comics written by Jeff Loeb with art by Tim Sale. The classic coming-of-age tale is back. In a new deluxe edition hardcover, like I just said. As a simple country boy turns into the world's greatest hero. Told through four seasons in the Man of Steel's life, this amazing tale from the team behind Batman the Long Halloween brings Superman to life in a truly unique style. They're going to update it, though, and make him kill a bunch of people and then kill himself in the end, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a new ending. Uh, Listen, if you haven't read Superman for all seasons... It's beautiful. Stop being a dummy. It's beautiful. (laughs) Just do it. Yeah. Now's your chance. Deluxe hardcover. I'm going to get one. Kick-ass Christmas gift for your Superman lover. Yeah, buddy. Or for the dick in your life that thinks he doesn't love Superman. Oh, yeah. And that guy is a dick. Let me tell you. (laughs) After you've made your Slammy picks, let us know what you're excited to read next week over at THN4. Sound off. It's been a while, but it's time for Matt and I to do our best two-headed James Lipton impression when we go inside the comic studio, where we convince a real working comics professional to ruin their good name by having a conversation with us. That was very dramatic. Today we welcome artist and writer and good friend of this show, Max Riffner, to the comic studio. Max has been working in all aspects of comics for years. A graduate of the Center of Cartoon Studies in Vermont, Max has most recently written for Spongebob comics and just this past month saw his graphic novel, The Crippler's Son, published by Fantagraphics on Comixology. Max, welcome to the THN Comics Studio. Do me a favor and tell these nerds a little bit about The Crippler's Son. Hi guys, it's good to be here. The Crippler's Son about uh, two brothers. One of them is a wrestler, the other one is in med school. 
their father has passed on, and so the older brother is uh, helping the younger brother get through med school by wrestling. And it takes place in the early 1990s and in Omaha, Nebraska. That was one of the questions I was going to ask. When exactly does this take place? Because it doesn't exactly have a modern day feel, but it is still kind of timeless. Why the 90s? Uh, I think it just kind of made sense with where Ren was at at the time, where it was still somewhat regional. And WWE hadn't quite taken over all the territories yet, all the regional promotions. Right. So I kind of imagined it like almost like a Jim Crockett promotion. Okay, you're going to have to help some people out there because not everyone knows who Jim Crockett is. <laughs> this is I mean, we know. Obviously, we know. Yeah, this is not the Inside the Wrestling yeah. Studio podcast, okay? <laughs> That's on next. Right. <laughs> what eventually became WCW. Okay. That, yeah, right. <laughs> That's the next. Just, yeah, just we, we strip it. right out of our comic gear and put on our leotards and go straight into the wrestling podcast. Yeah. <laughs> You've chosen to write and draw a very personal story about two brothers, both living in the shadow of a broken family and the world of professional wrestling, where the hell does a project like this start? I was going through my notes. Uh, it looked like I probably started writing in around 2004. So it's, it's been like a 10-year project. Wow. Trying to get the, the spoiler-free spoiler version, uh, trying to get the beat right, the main reveal right, so it doesn't seem cheesy. Right. Or just evolve in the melodrama. Um, and... I have to credit Jason Lutz a lot for helping me out with that and kind of nailing that down. Uh, he was really in instrumental in helping me uh, get, get that part of the story down. Right. So it didn't. So like when it, when it actually happens, it, it feels earned for right. the audience. Are Go you ahead. a, are you a big wrestling fan? Like this is rife with wrestling history and terms. And are you a huge wrestling nerd? I didn't really get into it until I kind of came up with this idea of like, I want to do something with a wrestler. And I think I read a story about Vashon, you know, lo local guy. Oh, mad dog Vashon. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think he broke, he totally broke kayfabe in the interview and then I got interested in it again. And then I, I just started reading books. Kayfabe but honestly, being the actual wrestling personality, like breaking the fourth. Yeah. Game, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Joe Patrick's looking at me, uh, shaking his head, like, "What the f did he okay, just Okay, like say? I've heard a lot. Of, <laughs> at, at Legend, uh, we are involved with a local wrestling outfit, uh, Magnum Pro, like all local oh, yeah. comic shops. And um, I have heard those guys say kayfabe many times, and I thought that that was a dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, what's kayfabe up to now?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a big I, Polynesian guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So back to Mad no. Dog Vashon. He he, yeah. <laughs> he broke the fourth yeah. wall in the interview. Yeah, I broke broke it in the interview, and then I started. I just started picking up like wrestlers' biographies, which are hysterical because mostly they write them themselves. <laughs> right, and they're crazy. Uh, so they're, yeah, and they're crazy. Yeah, and uh, I remember like Jason Caskey, writer of the Holy Terror. He really helped me out a lot early on, and lent me a bunch of his books and materials. Cause he's a huge wrestling fan and just, it's kind of been like a 10 year journey getting back into wrestling. And I tell you, like if I had the WWE network back then, that would have been so much more helpful. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, Instead of like, just like I mean, random YouTube videos put together by users oh, with really yeah. bad music, you know, or something. Oh, so bad. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and like, well, you can, you can get the narrative of their, like where they came from big, you know, 
how they how they got into wrestling challenges difficulties you know and all the terms that was that would have been so much easier with the network because it's like all there right and you can totally see like in context like you can go back and watch an old match and like oh yeah this is why this is happening because he accidentally you know sprained an ankle during this match and so they had to do a quick dusty finish or something like that yeah because i I noticed in in the story itself you go into the wrestling ring and very much show like inside what's happening in the actual match the way the guys whisper to each other or one guy knows he hurts another guy and they instantly have to change what's happening in the ring it was really fascinating and it's something that like any wrestling fan sees like we can spot that but it's not something you always think about you know so who is the crippler? If you had to pick a wrestler that you modeled him after, who is he? Like in my head, the, like the, the original crippler, their father was the snake Roberts dad. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So he was kind of like a scumbag piece of crap. Right. He was kind of Mickey Rourke in the wrestler, basically. Yeah. Even, well, even worse. It sounds like just reading what Jake the Snake has said about his childhood. I'm like, oh my god, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no wonder you did so many drugs. I don't know. I really couldn't tell you because he's he's kind of a weird mix because he's he is a technician, right? But he's got the the legacy. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think he he was kind of an original creation. I guess. He, he sort of comes right. off. He came I'm, off to I me. I could probably. As one of the old school sort of like late '80s guys that stuck around a little bit through the '90s, like the old jobbers who didn't necessarily yeah. have the personality to own the ring, but was a very yeah. talented wrestler. And if you needed someone to come in and get their ass kicked and make it look really good, you're like, nobody was better than these guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, and that that's, I mean, wrestling's littered with, especially that time period too. There's so many jobbers back. Then. Oh, there's a million of them. Yeah. And yeah, you know, they would just come out for like a couple matches. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, it'd always be like Big Jim Slade versus Chuck Kowalski, you know, and Chuck would get his head turned all the way around, you know, (laughs) and they'd be like, I need 10 minutes. (laughs) Like, all right, I got it. No problem. I'll give you 10 minutes. Yeah. Then go out. and. So to get away from the wrestling theme for a little bit, you come from an IT and a comics background. I got to ask your main character. He's a gay med student. Where did he come mm-hmm. from? Uh, well, I'm gonna say, I wouldn't say IT. I guess I would say, you know, uh, graphic design. Okay, is really my background. I don't mean I to mean, reduce you was... to like you know computer <laughs> nerd. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> when I was writing this, it was around the time like a lot of our friends were naturally that natural progression in med school. I remember talking to them a lot and hearing the stories, especially when they had to go to Creighton Med Center to like do a shift. Uh, just like, Oh my God, that's shocking. <laughs> yeah. Like the, st- the stuff in there is like, actually has actually happened. Like the Barbie heads and, and stuff like that. The Barbie heads. I actually learned that from, uh, an ER guy. Uh, where was I at in Wisconsin? It was just a casual conversation. And I, I asked him like, so like, what's, what's the weirdest seriously. <laughs> and he gave me two, he gave me two stories. One was the Barbie doll what's fascinating and well, so that that made it into the book for those and of you who haven't one, read the book i should mention the barbie head story oh yeah. is the weirdest thing they've ever like pulled out of somebody's butt <laughs> basically <laughs> <laughs> 
I, that's pretty much how I phrased it to him too. I'm like, come on. So what's the weirdest thing? And then he like finished the sentence, like up somebody's butt. Uh, I got you. <laughs> yeah. Here's two crazy stories. Like, for you, I get this all the time. So, no problem. That actually, and that panel too was like, uh, Eric Reynolds, the Fanographics, the associate publisher of Fanographics was my thesis advisor when I was working on it. And we argued about the Barbie doll head. I back and forth. I don't know how many times. Cause I drew what you see in the book, I think is a silhouette. Right. And I actually drew it out and I drew it like a nineties Barbie doll head, which looks a lot different than our Barbie doll head today. And Eric would call me and it's like, you know, look like a Barbie doll head. And I'm like, yes, it does. <laughs> I've got the visual <laughs> reference right here. He's like, I've got daughters. I look <laughs> yeah. like a Barbie doll head right now. <laughs> he was a huge help. Like all of my, the, I can't the environment of the center for cartoon studies. It was such a huge help in getting that book made. Also and, how uh, you hooked up with fanographics, I'm taking it. Yeah. Yeah. Since Eric, Eric Reynolds was my thesis advisor, I lucked out to get him and, um, I already had some connections at Fanographics, but um, it just it, it just worked out so well. So, so Max, what do you got coming up next? I have a graphic novel about the same size, kind of like a graphic novella uh, that I, I signed the contract for a while ago, and I just have not had time to work on it. I work here in town as a creative director with B Squared Interactive, which is been taking up most of my time. <laughs> I'm also, uh, Kevin Church and I are talking about teaming up again, and uh, he's been patiently waiting for me to, for my time to kind of free back up so we can get started on something. <laughs> well, that's the story of any comic creator, though, right? It's patiently waiting for all of them to finish whatever they're working on. <laughs> well, yeah, for writers, it feels like for writers especially, they they just, Kevin's been great. Uh, he totally understands. He's in a related business, too, but he also, like, writes for the regular show, Oh, wow. And that's very yeah. cool. Regular show yeah, on Cartoon Network. For the comics. For oh, the comics. for the comics. And uh, it's a similar process that we have to go through. Like when I do stuff for SpongeBob and he does stuff for regular show on how we have to pitch things. It's very, uh, it's of kind of crazy. Approval. <laughs> I'm sure. Approvals required. Yeah, there's a lot of that. approvals. Yeah. And it's, it's not like they're like hard to work with or anything. They're far from it. They're amazing. Uh, especially on the SpongeBob end, I have Chris Duffy is my editor. Um, you know, he's a legend. Max, I want to thank you for joining us in the comic studio. Joe and I have known you for a long time, and we've watched yeah. your style grow up like right in front of our eyes. I feel like we're we partially raised you. It's beautiful. He's older than <laughs> both of us. I'm so goddamn proud of you. You little bastard. I don't think I am. I think, I think I'm older than you, Joe, but I don't think I'm older than Matt. No, nobody's older than me. <laughs> <laughs> Max, we've been reading your stuff through Drunk Elephant online for a long time, and we're both big fans. We loved The Crippler's Son. I urge everyone to go out and get it. It's on Comixology, $9.99 for 50 pages. It's a hell of a deal. It's exclusively through Fanographics. Thanks again so much for joining us, Max. Thank you, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like down, this. Down. And that is it for episode 188 of THN. If you weren't disappointed that we somehow forgot to make 187 rap-themed murder jokes... Even I thought ...for that. our last episode, how the f*** did I miss that? You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, but we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thanks to all our donors, and if you want to keep us in steroids for our chemically-fueled angry comic rants, you can do so by clicking our greased-up PayPal button at 2 and if you want to become a sustaining member, 
Yo, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. I like the yo you added in there. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. It's true. Yo. And if you're interested in sponsoring this heel of a podcast, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this completely fake list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can hit us with your Ask a Nerd question or trivia or defend your questionable nerd taste in front of the two-headed judge for our Defenders segment. Or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, cut into your forehead with a razor blade, whatever. Oh, next level, Brian DuPont. That's what you got, buddy. And don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, write a eulogy for your favorite dead wrestler, or just rap about comics. Remember to follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life now, get over to TwoEdinerd.com and check out regular book reviews from Andrew McBride. We don't deserve that guy. He's, he's too good. He's done three already. He's too good. I didn't even get the third one published because I wasn't expecting it. Wow. I know. Ludicrous speed reviews from Aaron Myers. Movie reviews from The Credible Hulk. Saturday morning cartoons this from is The crazy. Credible Hulk. This is crazy. And guess what? We just had a guy say, hey, here's a submission for Nerd TV. You saw that. Casey Baum sent a blog you about Macaulay that? Culkin. You believe that? It was a post-Thanksgiving miracle. Oh my God. Getting and you know what? do anything, I swear. Charlie Tron, if you're listening, I swear I'm not ignoring you. I just keep forgetting. Good God. All he wants to do is write for Two at a Nerd, and I keep forgetting. Let him do it. I want him to do it. You're Charlie. a monster. Charlie. Just send me something. Charlie, I promise I'll come let you out of the sex kennel later. Okay? I apologize, man. Anything, man. <laughs> the sex kennel. <laughs> next, next week, we're playing the new and improved Ask a Nerd, where we tackle some of the toughest comic questions with one lucky listener. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our pal Josh Cruz and his son Lucian, who are able to attend the premiere of the upcoming film Top 5 as guests of Rosario Dawson. Word to you guys. She's a cool lady. How the f*** do you know one of the most beautiful women on the planet, I have to ask? And next time you see her, hey, get her to record an intro for us? Question mark? I mean, come on. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. And here's hoping they look like Rosario Dawson. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Signing off? Question mark? <laughs>